Father, we thank you for a beautiful day, a beautiful morning. We thank you for the opportunity to come together as your people in just a little while to do that which is most important in all human history and all human endeavors, which is to worship the God who made us and now the God who has redeemed us. And that, Father, for us is the highlight of our life as believers, as a church, but we also have this opportunity to gather and learn to learn about the God who saved us, the God who loves us and cares for us. Help us to be able to do so now. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, we got off to a good start last week, but I have a feeling that you all are just warming up. So we only had a couple of questions last week. Coffee and questions. This is where you set the agenda. You get to ask the questions. You're in charge of Sunday school. So with that, let's go. What do we got? How do we start? Second round of Coffee and Questions 2023. Hey, Jordan, what's your question? So you asked when Adam named the animals? Did we rename them? I suspect that more than likely we did. However, it's a good question. When Adam names the animals, it's more than just his naming them, like whatever sound he liked, you know, to give them. He actually, because he was not fallen, sin had not yet grabbed a hold of him, he was absolutely perfectly clear in his mind. So Adam was the perfect scientist. He could study the world around him. He could see everything and understand everything as he ought to as a created creature. I mean, he still was not uh, omniscient, right? But he could perfectly studied. So every name that he gave to the animals was perfectly suited to that animal and told us something about the character and nature of that animal. We still try to do that today. And like, if you think about it, if you ever looked at scientific names for animals and so on, they do try to do that. It's still part of our nature. It's now broken. It's fallen. But yes, I think we've renamed it if only because We don't speak the language that Adam spoke, but also in the sense that we've lost something too, and we're probably unable to see as clearly as Adam did. So yes, we have renamed the critters, all the animals. Good question, Jordan. All right, Jordan has broken the ice for everyone, so now you guys are ready to go. What have we got? Matt, Mr. Thacker. It was a... It was a secret. No, it's a good question. Uh, Interestingly enough, uh, we were just discussing this, well, maybe not directly this issue, but um, at officer training on Friday. Um, (laughs) That's not why he said it. Uh, And and it was afterwards, actually, the guys were just hanging out. And, uh, And we began to talk about one of the things that so often in our circles we underplay is the fact that the devil is real, demons are real, spiritual warfare is real, and um, the devil does have power. It's a limited power, Um, but people who get involved in the occult and those sorts of things really do tap into that, and um, so, um, uh, for example, um, it's going to just sound out of the blue, but uh, I was telling some of the guys on Friday, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, my mom, who you all see here, my mom's mom, had a niece that niece had a son. His name was Orlando. He was a Spanish-speaking, of course. And he had gotten himself into a cult 
uh, which may not be familiar with out here in Texas, but is very prevalent in in uh, South Florida, where you know the Cubans are congregated, and um, and of course back in Cuba, and it's called Santeria. It is just the uh, the Cuban version of Voodoo, which is from Haiti, and Macumba, which is Brazil, and so on. They're all variations of the same thing, which was an attempt by the Roman Catholic Church to meld the pagan gods of the black, you know, the African slaves with Roman Catholic saints. And of course, that, you know, that never works out well. And so in Santeria, they, they sacrifice chickens and everybody has to wear all white and it's just all sort of kind of these strange things. Orlando was in Santeria and he had worked his way up and he had become um, a high priest. And he said that at that level, he and his other you know, minions, knew that they were worshiping the devil, that they were dealing with demons, that the things that they did, they would see them, they would interact with them. They knew it was real. But they, the people at different levels thought, oh, we're worshiping the god Chango. Chango mm-hmm. is nothing but St. Barbara in, in Roman Catholicism. And not, they had no clue, but they knew. They had been deep enough in that that's what they were dealing with. And I would tell them about getting out. He's like, it's too late. I can't get out. You know, they got, they've got me. The fact is, these things are real. We read about them in Scripture. So there is limited power uh, by the evil one. Paul says in Second Corinthians that Satan loves to masquerade as an angel of light. He does have limited ability. Um, I think the conversation came up, and uh, I thought I had seen Lane. Oh, there he is. He's off to the right. I think it came up when Lane had a question. He can correct me if I'm wrong. But we were discussing things like UFOs and, you know, ghosts. Like in the 19th century, that's right, the 1800s, UFOs wouldn't have made sense. Ghosts did. It fit into that culture. Probably the vast majority, 99% of all ghost sightings is just, again, or people thinking there's ghosts is just, you know, can be explained away. But there seem to be some real manifestations. But there are no ghosts because if there were ghosts, the biblical uh, worldview, the biblical point of view that's taught, you die, you immediately go either to heaven or to hell. If there are ghosts, then that goes out the window. Remember, Satan doesn't have to confuse you to the point that you become, you know, that you turn away 180 degrees away from God. He doesn't have to get you to turn into a stark, raving mad Satanist. Right? All he has to do is get you one degree off. And if anybody has ever done any boating or flying, you know that you're going from here to there and you're one degree off, you miss your target. Right? That's all he has to do. So if he can get you slightly off, by the time we get into the 20th century, man is growing sophisticated and we're modern and jet engines and this and that, even before jet engines. You know, airplanes and all With our technological bent, you start seeing UFOs. If you can believe UFOs, you can also disbelieve just a degree off. You can disbelieve what the Scripture says about creation, about this place of man in the world, about the fall, Etc. I mean, it just it actually knocks a whole bunch of different viewpoint, uh, different uh, uh, areas of, of of theology. So, can there be uh, again that ninety eight point nine percent of all you know UFO sightings or whatever are explainable and the weather phenomena and this and that and whatever? But if there really are some real sightings, again, it would not be beyond the realm of uh, you know thinking of the way Satan works to just plug that in and say that's the case. So that's what you have going on here. Not much is made of it because I believe, first of all, two things. 
First of all, those folks were much more aware of the reality of that. Um, I wish Rod Alexander were here. He was just having, he just read a good book on it and uh, uh, bought me a copy of it. To, and I've just started looking at it called Return of the Gods. But it's the idea that every one of these gods that the Mayans worshipped or the Babylonians worshipped, in the end, um, there, were, there were real demonic influences behind each one. So that stuff is very real. They knew that, so it doesn't need to be a whole, like, you know, we don't have to go <gasps> and go on and on and on about it. The other one, which I think is, made, is a point made very ably by a friend of mine who had been a mentor uh, uh, for me many years ago, a man now in his, in his 80s, Nabil Jabor. He's an Arabic Christian. He's from Lebanon, Syria, uh, both. He had lived in both. Um, Nabil Jabor has a, a thin little book, which the men looked at here maybe back in 2016, uh, on uh, when we used to meet on Saturday mornings for our men's study, but uh, it was called or is called the unseen reality. You can actually download that book for free, and he talks about the problem is once we uh, you either have Christians who don't recognize at all the reality of spiritual warfare, other than just some sort of abstract. You know, in the Bible, you know, there was something about demons back then, Jesus casting them out, but not recognizing that it's happening now, right? So there's that extreme. Then the other extreme is those who recognize it, and their whole focus is on evil you know, our Pentecostal friends and so on. And he says, you recognize that's real, but the focus is on Christ. The focus is on Christ. So I suspect the other reason why we don't get a major thing is, one, people already knew about it, but our focus is on what God is doing and not to get hung up on that. So I don't know if that helps. Uh, obviously can't give you any details because I don't know, and I don't think anybody will know on to what extent these magicians um, had access to a certain level of demonic power, but, uh, you know, they can, they can only go so far, and pretty soon, you know, and of course, it wasn't, uh, if this is, you can't see what's happening here, as God tries something, the devil tries something, God's like, oh, okay, let me try harder. All throughout, he knew exactly how he was pacing the whole thing, and like he does with everything else, he himself is the one who hardened Pharaoh's heart. He was setting this up so that he would be without excuse, so good question. The cute girl in the back. Yeah, and that, that can be said for virtually all sexual sin, not just for trans, not just for lesbian, gay, whatever. I, I need to be careful we're in a mixed audience so uh, of, of all ages. Um, it also has to do with things that we see online. You know, it doesn't matter what I look at online. I'm not hurting anyone. So let me just simply say uh, this. God has given us a, a very clear design. And if you um, try to build a bicycle and you ignore the instructions and you put it together the way it wasn't designed, it's not a very safe bicycle. Um, again, because we have a mixed uh, age range, I'm not gonna get into too much detail, but I think most of you can do the math. The, the way you answer that objection is you tell them God has a design. It's a design for human flourishing and whenever we move away from that design in any one of these areas, then it hurts others. In this particular case, it hurts that person. The persons around them are affected. All the relationships, and certainly the intimate ones, fail to, to fulfill their functions. Absolutely. But, the, the, uh, no. You have to, we, we, we judge all the time. I, I, I judge all the time, you know. I look uh, into a neighborhood and I say, I think I'm gonna stay in my car and not walk in that neighborhood. 
or I feel I'm absolutely safe. We're all discriminating. To discriminate simply means to judge and to weigh the value. We do it all the time. That bread looks like it's been there too long. I'm not going to eat it, <laughs> right? We are judging all the time. The question is, what standard do we use? So, so yes. So you see, and, and when I sit there and I say, Matt, I'm going to pick on you because you're always the best guy to do. <laughs> no. Matt is a teacher. He understands uh, all this stuff. So if I look at Matt and I say, well, I don't like the way you're dressed, Matt. That's not appropriate for church. Let's just say I said that, right? What standard am I using? My own likes? What I think ought to be? In that regard, we are not to judge. And Paul, uh, you know, Jesus himself says that in, in uh, Matthew chapter 7, very first verse. Um, but likewise, Paul says that we are not to judge Everyone stands before the Lord and will answer in that. And what he's discussing, and Paul makes it very clear, is, you know, you, you do it this way and I do it that way, but I'm going to, you know, my judgment is correct. So the question is, we all do judge, but the only way that I can impose that or mention it is on what standard. And if the standard is biblical, then I not only have every right, but I must. So let me give you a perfect example. It's going on right now. You have some people, and I'm going to just, again, mixed age, so I'm just going to use this term. You all can do the math and figure out what I'm getting at. Minor attracted persons. You've heard that term? Okay. There's great wickedness behind what's going on there. I mean, I don't don't even think I need to explore that very much. So if I don't judge and that person says, this is who I want to be with. I want to have an intimate relationship with this person, this minor who am, who am I to judge, right? And so I'm, if I sit there and say, well, I can't judge that. I mean, I think, that's, you know, I think it's nuts, but I can't say anything. That little person is going to be greatly harmed. So we must, not only are we free to, but we must judge using a biblical standard and say, no, that is inappropriate. And at the very least, inappropriate if not all sorts of sick and wicked. So the, the do not judge does not enter into, well, I'll just go back. What standard are you using? The biblical standard. The biblical standard says that human sexuality is designed for one man and one woman, not just for men and women, because you can have multiples, one man and one woman, and in the context of a relationship where they've given themselves to each other sacrificially and covenantally to the point where uh, uh, there is a commitment that goes just beyond hey, uh, hope I'll see you again, right? That kind of thing. So all that comes together, and God says, that is where this gift that I've given humanity flourishes. Outside of that, it hurts, and it does. And so I'll give you a perfect example. Let's think of something innocent. So we've got enough, and I I see various hands. I'll get to you guys if I can. The 60s. Who's it going to hurt, right? We're just, we're, we're tired of, you know, the 50s. We're tired of being home and, 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 and um, domestic, you know, bliss and all this other stuff that's being portrayed. We want to live as we want to live. If you're a young lady and you're out there and you're putting yourself out there, again, mixed audience, you guys do the math, you know where I'm going. You put yourself out there and whatever and the guy is with you and then you both wake up in the morning and he's getting dressed and he's on his way to work. You're wondering because the ease with which you got him to be with you that night, who is he going to be with tomorrow night or that night as you wake up in the morning? 
And that little tinge that you feel of, oh, there was something there. There should be something more. That right there tells you that that hurt that that young lady feels of, I want it to be me, but it may not be me, and I have to pursue. If you grew up in a Christian home and you never experienced that, that is wonderful for you. But I've talked to plenty of ladies who've gone through that hurt and that pain. That's a consequence of doing something that's not hurting anyone, but in reality it is. And our society today has been literally destroyed because just of, much more, but just the sexual revolution of the 60s. So yes, those things have um, consequences that reach far off. And we do, and we must judge according to the biblical standard, but we can't go beyond. So if I sit there and say, uh, 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 what are you doing marrying a black person? So there I'm saying the biblical standard is one woman, one man, and all that. But now I say, you can't marry a black person, right? Leng, Asian, is married to Caucasian woman. Somebody tells him, you can't do that, okay? That is now going beyond the standard of Scripture. There's nothing in Scripture that talks about that. So you see the point? That's where we do not judge. I, I don't know if that helps. Um, let me take them in the order I first saw them in. Russ, we'll start with you. So you're, you're talking about the person himself, absolutely. And I was kind of focusing on the fact that, you know, that, that the claim is it hurts no one else. But yeah, 1 Corinthians 6, if you look at that at the very end, the very last paragraph, Paul goes out of his way to say what well, you just started reading, which is that you yeah, flee sexual immorality because every other sin is done outside of the body, but this one is. And then he's, he ends by saying, remember that the temple, that your body is the temple of the Spirit. And he says, um, don't you know that you were um, purchased? The exact words are, you're, you're not your own. You've been purchased you know, by a price, by the price of, of the Lord. So, yes, it is a particularly sexual sin unlike all others. And this doesn't mean just LGBTQIA, whatever. Everything else. It could be the guy who's married, who's been faithful in, in practice or whatever, but he sees some, you know, cute girl walk by and he thinks something right there. That's, that's enough, according to Matthew, according to Jesus, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew uh, 5. So um, that is a particularly egregious sin and does hurt that, that person more so than any other. So, yeah, I, I think we can piggyback that onto the other. Not only does it hurt other people, but it particularly hurts you. So no doubt about that. I don't know if Russ is that. So, yeah, I think what Paul is essentially saying is you are defiling, to use your language, the, the very temple. It's like if today we don't need a physical temple, but it's like if, because, because the Spirit has come. So it's like if you had walked into the temple and, deci- and decided to defile that, that would be particularly egregious, and that is in, in essence what's going on there. Let me see if we can get to Lane, and then they'll probably wrap, wrap it up for today. Yeah, the context in which uh, he says this in the Sermon on the Mount is the fact that none of us is without, you know, without sin. So there's two kinds of judgments that you can give, and they actually fit in. They actually fit in with the way we're supposed to keep the law. So let me go back a step and let's talk about when you look at the law, right? And where do we find the law in the Scripture summarized? Ten Commandments. That's correct. So the Ten Commandments summarizes the moral law for us. So what does it mean to keep the law? And the way this has been understood, and I think once, it's a technical sort of thing, but once I say it, I think you'll all, 
immediately uh, recognize it because you already instinctively know this. There's the standard. So what's the sixth commandment? Do not kill. Okay, so there's, uh, or do not murder. Do not kill, do not murder. So there is the bare standard, right? And if, the, if that's the only thing you do, then you can sit there and say, I've kept the law. I've never murdered anyone. I've never killed anyone, you know, that kind of thing. I've met the bare standard. But there's also two more things to consider. There's the goal of the law. What is the goal of do not murder? Uh-huh. Preserve human life. By the way, one of the best and very easy-to-access commentaries on the Ten Commandments is the Westminster Larger Catechism. The Shorter Catechism, too, but the Larger is superb. For every commandment, it tells you what's the commandment, what are the duties required, and what are the things prohibited. We all know the things prohibited. We know we don't do this, you know that. But what's required? And so it helps you to understand the goal because the goal, then, is preserve human life. And Jesus gets at this in the parable of the Good Samaritan. When you see a guy who's down and hurt, you have a requirement to help that person. That's, that's this commandment because it fits into the goal. Does that make sense? That's why we also are pro-life and that kind of thing. It's not just simply you stood there. If somebody's being attacked and being beaten, you don't get to sit there and say, it's not my problem. I'm not the one doing it. You are required to assist. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, you're a 98-pound woman or whatever. You're going to take on some guy. But maybe you call for help. You know, you get on your phone. You get the point. Our job is to do what we can to preserve human life. That certainly means not taking it ourselves, but also doing what is necessary. So standard goal, and then the last thing is motive. So uh, what we're getting at here is what drives you to do it. You might actually do this with the proper goal, but you do it for all the wrong reasons. You do it because you want glory for yourself, for example, as opposed to doing it for the glory of God. So did you keep the law if you just simply did not, you know, grab a uh, kitchen knife and stab the person? I've never done that to anybody. Well, you also, have you been doing this? That's where most failures happen, but it can even fail down here because we've not been doing it with the right motive for the glory of God because it's the right thing out of love for God and love for our neighbor rather we wanted something for ourselves and so on so if we understand that we can flip it over to how we judge people Uh, so getting back to this other thing sometimes we judge just you know basically on the standard and what I'm saying is your standard has to be a biblical standard before you can go ahead and judge anybody with any kind that doesn't mean that you can't have likes and dislikes right I might sit there and say, oh, I don't like the way this person is dressed. I, I personally don't like it. I don't like that outfit. I don't like that color. Or I don't like that, you know, st- uh, style of car that he drives. I don't like, you know, the, the whatever. You know, that, that's different. Those are your preferences. We all have them. But when you sit there and say that's wrong, I don't, that's inappropriate, it's not for worship, or that's, you know, you can't wear that past uh, Labor Day or Memorial Day or <laughs> whatever, you know, once you make a set statement, now you're, you're judging on a standard, and that standard for us must be biblical, and we, don't, we should not be wiser than the Holy Spirit. Where you're getting at, Lane, is then where we also judge, we start going into the person's you know, life underneath. And what we're basically, when we judge that person, it's not just simply, like, like, I can actually sit there and say, he did commit 
whatever, that crime, adultery, whatever. I can actually judge by a biblical standard, but the judgment that you're getting at in Matthew 7 is, and that person is a bad person, whereas I'm good. And then Jesus is basically saying, are you really all that good? Look at yourself and how many failures you have. So that's then even going a step below the standard to judging the quality of that person. Tim Keller, I think, put, put this very well. Uh, I heard this many years ago. and I can't remember where it was, so I wouldn't be able to tell you right now. But um, it's talking about the way that we look at other people, and when they do something wrong, we reduce them to a caricature, to a single dimension, right? So we'll just simply say, oh, she's just a liar. And notice what we said. Oh, she's just a liar. You can't listen to her. She's just a liar. You've reduced her to this one thing. She is just a liar. That's all she is. Single dimensional character. But when we do it, like Keller would say, we're complicated. We have levels. There's a reason why we lied. It was wrong, but that's not who I am. And it's all part of, you know, and you hear that when people make their little um, fake profession, confessions that they have to do when they're dragged down in front of, you know, Hollywood audience or something. And that's not who I am. I know I said these things and I tweeted this or whatever, but that's not who I am. See, what they're basically arguing is I'm, I'm more than just that. But we don't do that to other people. We reduce them to just that. That's what we're talking about in Matthew 7. The, you, know, you know, you recognize what you did, you're wrong. You recognize what they did is wrong, and yet it's a different context. They're all evil. I really do think we have to wrap it up. But Russ, you want to follow up on that? Sure. And, and that's what I'm saying. We all judge. We all discriminate. We all um, weigh the value of certain things. And when it comes to moral behavior... Yeah, you have to look and say, and, and like I was saying, and I'll end with this because it's what I was saying at the very start. It's not just that you have a right to, but you must say this kind of behavior is wrong. Now, well, we want to avoid, okay, we're really past our time, but hypocritically, we want to avoid doing that where we, like, say, for example, uh, homosexual sin. Oh, that's evil, that's disgusting, that's wrong. And yet we allow other types of sexual sin, which are very prevalent in our society. Uh, or we look at that and say, that's wrong, but. There's no but. And that's the point I'm getting at, right? So, you know, oh, that, you know, he slept with that girl, whatever, and they're not married. Okay, that's wrong. Stop it. But then for the guy who's gay or whatever, we don't even watch you in our church. That's a real problem, which we can talk about next time if you'd like. Okay, let's, uh, let's go ahead and wrap this up in prayer. Good, good discussion, guys. Um, all got started with a great question. Uh, actually, no, it started with Jordan and his animal question. Okay, so we're getting warmed up. That's good. Next week, uh, we'll have more fun. Let's pray. Father, we stand as a people who can call you Father, not because we've earned that right, not because we're better. We are no different. In fact, it wouldn't be um, too, ha- too hard to surmise that we might even be worse than many people out there who do not have the privilege of calling you Father. So we're thankful that you have brought us by grace into this right relationship with you, into your kingdom, into your family. Help us, Father, to live in ways that bring glory and honor to your name. Help us to see those around us who are not living up to the standards that you've laid out with the eyes of a gracious, redeemed people, that we might look at them with compassion, uh, with firmness as we tell them what you have designed for the human race, both with the compassion and the mercy of the gospel, uh, hand in hand. And we pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.